Hey guys, welcome back and thanks for joining me. I'm your host, Sherry. I truly apologize for the delay in getting this one done. I've had a whole lot going on these last few weeks. I know that's such a cliche excuse, but I truly mean it. Life has been hectic, but I'm here now. As well, researching this case was the hardest I've ever done. I've heard a few other podcasters who have covered this case say the exact same thing. There's so much info out there, but a lot of it is kind of all over the place. So compiling it together was pretty exhausting. What I mean by that is, for example, I could have three sources state that he sent a text message at 10 a.m., and three other sources will state it was a voicemail that was sent at 10 a.m. Trying to figure out which is correct is difficult. I almost abandoned this one halfway through my research, but I'm glad I didn't, and, and I'm excited to tell you guys all about this one. One thing I did want to tell you guys is I'm considering adding my show to Apple Podcasts and Spotify. That way you can listen on other platforms. I'll still continue to post on YouTube, but now you'll have the option to listen while doing other things on your phone or tablet. I'll make a separate announcement as soon as it's complete. So that's enough chit chat. Let's get right into this one. Today we're going to talk about a man named Rico Harris, who vanished in 2014 while making this long trip from Alhambra, California to Seattle to move in with his girlfriend and start a new life. Rico has this super important job interview that he's been really exciting, excited about, and his disappearance is just baffling. Much like the Terrence Woods and Bryceless Pisa cases I've talked to you about, this is at that level of bizarre. As always, my sources are listed in the description area of the video. This is the case of Rico Harris. Rico disappeared in 2014. Some things going on at that time. Malaysia Airlines Flight 370 disappeared with 239 people on board. That was one of the top news stories of the year. The comedy world lost Robin Williams. There was the Ferguson riots after unarmed teen Michael Brown was killed by police. Guardians of the Galaxy was the most popular movie. The average household income was $66,000. And lastly, the number one song was Happy by Pharrell Williams. Rico Omar Harris has a pretty interesting life. He's moving from Alhambra, California to Seattle, where he's going to live with his girlfriend, Jennifer. Now, Rico has this really important job interview that he can't miss. He was going to work in real estate and be a property appraiser. Now, this is super important to him because he is used to having jobs that were suited for his body type. Just to give you guys a visual here of Rico, he is six foot nine inches tall and 320 pounds. The guy is huge and was kind of a big deal everywhere he went. So his jobs were basically being a security guard and things of that nature. He wanted a job that required him to use his mind and not just be muscle. So this job interview was going to be Saturday night at 7 o'clock p.m., and he absolutely cannot miss it. Just some backstory on Rico. He was born in Los Angeles, California on May 19, 1977. Rico's parents are Henry and Margaret. He was the first of four children the couple shared. In the early 90s, Margaret divorces Henry since he had become abusive towards her. Rico goes to live with her. Rico was kind of like the glue that held the family together, being the oldest child. Rico's mother said, I don't know how my kid has so many qualities me and his dad don't have. Patient, loving, and super enthusiastic. Rico's dad, Henry, rarely came around to visit Rico and the other kids. Rico has basketball games that are just blocks from his dad's house, and yet his dad never shows up to a single game. 
Once when Rico was 17, his dad did come for a visit. Rico is so excited he finally gets to see his dad after not seeing him for a while. Well, Henry sees this gold hoop earring in Rico's ear, and he grabs the nearest thing, which is a hockey stick, and beats him across the chest with it. Rico excuses his dad's behavior and says that's just how his dad is. His rage is something he needed to work on. He basically justified his dad attacking him. Two years later, Rico reached out to his dad, and his dad basically just tells him, look, I'm not cut out to be a father. I'm sorry. Just move on and forget about me. Rico was this awesome basketball player in high school. He's like the star player, and it was no wonder he was a first-round pick. He played throughout his time at a few colleges. He's an NBA prospect. Coaches have their eyes all over this kid. Rico wasn't the best student, though, in college. Academically, he's not doing so well, and he liked partying, but so do a lot of other college kids. This is completely normal. Rico begins drinking, and his drinking made him not violent or want to go hang at the bar. He liked drinking by himself at home, and he would isolate himself from others. He would get calls from other college recruiters, and he wouldn't even return their calls. He felt a lot of his coaches were phony and just telling him what, it, what he wanted to hear. Like they see his physical ability, but they don't value his character. In the year 2000, Rico was signed to the Harlem Globetrotters, but he only got to play for less than two months. The reason for this was that Rico had been getting these intense headaches and dizziness. This stemmed from being in a fight, one that had nothing to do with the team. This was on his personal time. He was out with a girl in Los Angeles one night. He gets into an argument with some folks. Instead of driving off, Rico gets out of the car and confronts the group. He was attacked and hit hard in the back of the head with a baseball bat. He survived, but he was never really the same. He had lasting effects, as I imagine anyone who had been beaten in the back of the head with a wooden baseball bat would. Rico has this downward spiral. Life begins to get really hard for him. He's drinking and using drugs. From 2001 to 2007, Rico had 16 arrests, including public drunkenness, burglary, and trespassing. Rico was using meth, crack, and heroin. His friend David Lara says that if there was a drug, Rico did it. He would even sniff Ajax cleaning powder if he was out of drugs just so he could feel something. He said the saddest thing of all was seeing this local basketball legend out in the street drunk and begging for change. One night, Rico is taken to jail, and he's there for a day or two, and he's just, you know, they have him in there just basically to sober up. He sees a familiar face. He walks up to the guy and says, Henry? His father shook his hand. It had been several years since they had saw each other. This wasn't a moment that would change him, though. It really didn't have any impact on him whatsoever. Rico continues with drugs and alcohol. This was a really dark time in Rico's life. He even overdosed on prescription medication and had to be rushed to the hospital, which was a big wake-up call. Rico decides to enter rehab, and it works for him. He gets clean. He's living at his mother's house and works as a security guard. Rico seems to be doing much better than he was in college. If you know any recovering addict, you know the temptation to go back to drugs is always there. But Rico perseveres, no drugs and no alcohol. But his basketball career is done. 
Rico moved in with a friend who he had attended the treatment program with. They were both good for each other because they, you know, each have a sober buddy to lean on and they also split the bills. In 2012, Rico meets a woman by the name of Jennifer Song. Jennifer is the woman in the photos on your screen. Jennifer is a insurance broker who lives in Seattle, Washington. She's visiting California and attends a nightclub where Rico is working security. They hit it off and they form a relationship. Now, Seattle, where Jennifer lives, is 1,100 miles from Rico's town where he lived in Alhambra, California. This is an 18-hour drive, so it was a long-distance relationship, but they made it work somehow. They talked on the phone, they texted, and sometimes he would make the long drive to Seattle to stay the weekend with her, and this went on for two and a half years. In 2014, Rico says he really wants to marry Jennifer. He loves her, and the long-distance relationship just wasn't really cutting it anymore. They discuss having a family and moving in together. They discuss children's names. So the time comes for Rico to leave the apartment he shared with his rehab friend. Well, this rehab friend wasn't too happy about this, mainly because he left him with a bunch of unpaid bills and didn't really give him notice. Their friendship is pretty much severed at this point, as a lot of people can see why. They did talk some afterwards, but it wasn't the same. So in September of 2014, Rico begins moving his things into Jennifer's apartment in Seattle. Remember, it's an 18-hour drive each way, so this wasn't an easy process going back and forth to get stuff. The thing is that Rico doesn't really unpack his belongings once he's there. He just kind of lives out of a suitcase for a bit. Jennifer thinks this was because he was just uncomfortable because it was a new place and it was her place and not really his. But eventually, he begins to slowly put stuff away. Jennifer noticed that something was off about Rico. He didn't seem like the same person. It could be because he's living 1,100 miles away in a, new in a new town, but this seemed like it was more than that. Jennifer finally confronts Rico about it. She asks, what is going on with you? You seem distant and not the same boyfriend I had. Rico tells her that a month before, he relapsed. He also told one of his close friends this as well. He said he began drinking alcohol and was embarrassed and knows he needs to fix this. Jennifer says, It was different dating someone who looked really normal, but slowly learning that he's adjusting to life as a whole different person. In October 2014, Rico has this job interview lined up. He's been in Seattle a couple weeks at this point. He's excited because this job is being a property appraiser. It's finally a job that Rico can use his brain and not just his muscle. That's all he ever wanted. He was happy to have the opportunity for a job that a person who is five foot tall could do. On October 8th, 2014, Rico tells Jennifer he wants to go explore his new city of Seattle. Jennifer says she's going to go to the gym, but go have fun, walk around, see all the shops and do whatever. I'll see you when I'm home from the gym. Jennifer arrives back home at 8 p.m. and Rico isn't there, so she assumes that he's just out exploring the city and he would be back home later. Jennifer texts Rico and informs, and he informs her he is not out exploring the city. He says he's actually in Oregon. She's like, What? He says he's driving back to his mother's house in Alhambra, California to get some more of his stuff. Remember, it's an 18-hour drive each way. Jennifer thinks this is strange, but he's already well on his way. 
Rico's job interview is in two days, and he says how important this job interview is, and there's no way he will miss it. He'll be back in time. They also had a barbecue that they were planning to attend at their neighbor's house the next evening so everyone could meet him. He tells Jennifer, I'm just going to grab some stuff, talk to my mom and brother, and then make the drive back to Seattle. Rico called his friend David on the way to Alhambra. They chatted for a few minutes, and he tells David things are finally looking up for him, and he's madly in love with Jennifer. He finally found the right person for him. David said Rico seemed upbeat, and nothing seemed wrong at all. Jennifer is a little worried. Since he hadn't slept, and now he's driving 18 hours, and he's just going to hang out and then turn around and drive all the way back— It was also strange that he just kind of rolled out and never mentioned he would be driving to California. You can see why she feels weird about the whole thing. He finally arrives in Alhambra. He and his brother went out to dinner, and he gave his brother a new cell phone as a gift. Rico has a private conversation with his mom, and he also sits down and drinks a beer with his stepdad. Rico's mom lets him know she is disappointed that he began drinking again. At about 1 o'clock a.m., Rico has been awake for over 30 hours. Instead of crashing at his mom's house, he decided to get in the car and head back up the road. For Rico to get home to Seattle, it's basically a straight shot up Interstate 5. If you look at a map from Alhambra to Seattle, you can see it's a straight line, and it's 1,100 miles and 18 hours. Remember, Rico hasn't slept in 36 hours by this point. It's going to be an interesting 18-hour trip for sure. Rico calls his mom, and she had no idea that he had even left. She's perplexed because he had just gotten there the day before. Now it's the middle of the night. He stayed awake the whole time he was there and barely took any of his things that he claimed he was coming to get. Then he calls his girlfriend Jennifer, who was surprised as well that he is on the road and driving back without sleep. They talked on the phone for three to four hours. I'm guessing Jennifer is trying to make sure that he stays awake. Jennifer falls asleep, and when she wakes up the next morning at 8 a.m., she calls Rico. He sounds super tired and even mentioned going up to the mountains to rest. She's like, yeah, you need to get some sleep. Do whatever you got to do. Some time passes, and Margaret, Rico's mom, calls Rico, but she doesn't get an answer. Jennifer also tried calling him, but didn't get an answer. At 10.44 a.m., Jennifer receives a text message from Rico saying he's sorry he missed her call and he was thinking of her. At this point, Jennifer is full-on panicking. It doesn't make sense why he wouldn't answer her calls. He's literally sitting in the car driving up the road. Jennifer continues to call Rico, but it goes unanswered. By 8 p.m. that night, this is October 10th, Rico hasn't arrived back to his and Jennifer's apartment in Seattle Jennifer doesn't know what to do. She calls Margaret and asked if she'd heard from her son, and she says, no, I was going to ask you if you did. Jennifer asked Margaret if she should file a missing persons report, but Margaret says just wait a couple days. They assume maybe he got a hotel room and just wanted to clear his head, or maybe he stepped off in another town to visit a friend. They're grasping at straws, but they're trying to remain positive. On October 14th, this is four days since Rico has been missing. A sheriff's deputy is patrolling this state park in Yolo County, California. It's this isolated area that not too many people come through. It runs next to Cache Creek. Well, he spots a black Nissan Maxima sitting next to some bushes. It's not in a designated parking space. It's off to the side of the parking spots. He thinks it's odd, but just assumes someone stopped and is out exploring the park. The strange thing is that this location 
is 50 miles off of I-5. Remember I told you it's a straight shot up I-5 to get to Seattle from Alhambra? Well, he went 50 miles west of I-5. This location is 450 miles north of Alhambra, so he was about a third of the way to Seattle when he turned left and went west. The next day, Margaret files a missing persons report. I've also read that it was Jennifer that filed the missing persons report. I can't confirm which of the two ladies it was, but one of them files the report. They were conversing back and forth for the last couple days about if either of them had heard from Rico. Also at this time, the sheriff's deputy comes back to the parking area and sees the black Nissan Maxima still sitting in the same spot it was yesterday. He runs the license plate and see the car belongs to a man named Rico Harris, whose address is listed in Alhambra, California. The inside of this car is a mess. There's CDs and credit cards and papers scattered throughout. It looks like a bomb went off on the inside. The car is out of gas and the battery is dead. Yolo County sheriffs get in touch with Alhambra police who go to Margaret's house and inform her that this black Nissan Maxima was found, but no one was in it. She says, yes, that's my son's car and he's been missing for a few days. You guys know how much I complain about when an adult goes missing, especially men of color and police do very little and the search efforts are mostly guided by the family. Well, this case is different. The police did exceptional work for the next few weeks trying to locate Rico. They've got helicopters and scent dogs. They are putting in lots of time. They had literally hundreds of people searching Cash Creek looking for Rico on foot and on ATVs. The search area canvassed 27 miles. The detective who led this investigation is Detective Dean Nyland. After three days of searching, Everyone pretty much agrees on the same thing. How in the world can a man who is almost seven foot tall and over 300 pounds go missing? How come no one has seen him? A missing persons alert goes out to everyone in the community. It's kind of like an amber alert. Over 4,000 notifications go out to people's phones. I told you these cops were doing their job well. I wish other stories I've told had the same kind of reaction and maybe some of the subjects would have been found. Tips start coming in, and three witnesses call and say yes, they saw a man matching Rico's description in that area on October the 11th. This was one day after Rico went missing. One says he was sitting on a guardrail. The next says he was walking down Highway 16. The third said he was standing outside of a black car and appeared confused. Rico's car is towed from the area and brought to the station for processing. They didn't find any signs of a struggle, even though the car was ransacked. There wasn't any blood or signs of an attack. Rico's wallet was also in the car along with his credit cards, except for one card, which was his Discover card. He also took his driver's license with him. Kind of strange he wouldn't just take the whole wallet, but everything about this whole case is strange, so it's no surprise. So Detective Dean needs to kick off this investigation by doing a very important part of every missing persons case. And you guys all know what that is, tracing the cell phone. They contact Rico's cell phone provider and within one hour, they get a call back that says his cell phone last pinged in Redwood Valley, which is 70 miles from where Cash Creek is, which is where Rico's car is. Investigators go to Redwood Valley and begin contacting everyone and putting out alerts. They get a call from a man in Redwood Valley that says, I have Rico's cell phone. 
They meet with the man and he says he and his wife and their little grandson were traveling near Cache Creek and they spotted a book bag on the side of the road. So they stopped and picked it up. This book bag was two miles from where Rico's Nissan Maxima was. They look inside to see if there was an ID, but there wasn't. They yelled up and down the road to see if anyone would come out, but no one did. So they took it with them and said they'd try to find the owner. You guys see now why his cell phone was pinging in Redwood Valley 70 miles away. It wasn't because Rico was there, but because this family found the book bag and took it home with them to Redwood Valley. Police comb the book bag looking for whatever they can find. They're confused because the book bag was just sitting neatly on the side of the road when this couple found it. There wasn't any signs of a struggle. Inside the book bag, some clothes were found, a bottle containing what appeared to be an energy drink mixed with alcohol, which is sad because Rico was in recovery. And also a set of jumper cables was found in the book bag. So many people are confused by this. Remember Rico's car battery was dead? Well, you would think he would leave the jumper cables in the car if, if he went to go look for help. People ask why were the jumper cables in his book bag? I think the explanation for this was Rico was looking for help and was carrying the jumper cables in his hand so he didn't appear as a threat. Someone sees a six foot nine man flagging you down for help, they're probably gonna keep on driving. If he appears to be carrying jumper cables, people are more likely to stop and help. The cell phone was analyzed. Detective Dean went through each message and phone call. He saw texts from Rico's brother and his old roommate, as well as a couple of business-related messages. There were also the calls to his mother and girlfriend, but little else of interest. There were no calls suggesting he was meeting anyone at Lower Sight or anywhere else. They also found a video of Rico sitting in his car at the location where the car was found. It was time-stamped October 10th, which was the day he was driving to Seattle. So we know Rico did in fact drive himself there and park his car. The video looked like it was one of those ones where he didn't know it was recording. It was like an accidental video. It showed Rico tossing CDs around in his car and ripping things up. He was singing out of tune and appeared to be having a good time. This explains the reason why the car appeared to be ransacked. Rico did it himself. It makes you wonder his state of mind. They also found photos Rico had taken at Cache Creek. He took some selfies standing next to the water. He took a smiling photo of himself standing next to the state park sign near his car. Detective Dean said these photos were taken when it was nearly dark the day he disappeared. If you remember, the last text message to Jennifer was at 10.44 a.m. that day. He was already supposed to be back in Seattle by the time these photos were taken. That means it's well past his time that he went missing, and think about that. Detective Dean interviews Jennifer and Margaret and tries to get a better understanding of who Rico was and how he could just go missing. He asked Jennifer why she waited days to file a missing persons report. She said her and Rico's mom thought it would be best since Rico may have just taken off for a couple days to clear his head. Plus, as you guys all know from movies, you're supposed to wait 48 hours to file a missing adults report, which isn't true, but people somehow believe you're supposed to do that. Maybe it used to be that way. I don't know. I do got to point out, though, that Jennifer was heavily criticized by many people for not reporting him missing sooner. She's not a suspect, and she was cleared pretty quickly, but people still find it odd that she and Rico's mother waited so long. On October 19th, this is nine days after Rico left Alhambra, 
A man reports that he saw someone matching Rico's appearance, dark skin, almost seven foot tall, and just a huge guy, standing close to where Rico's car was found. Police go back to the location and find fresh footprints there. They weren't there before when they had done this detailed investigation. These weren't just any footprints, though. These were huge footprints. They were size 18 footprints, just like Rico was. Detective Dean believes Rico came back for his car nine days after he left it, saw it wasn't there, and then went back into the woods or to another town. Someone who is Rico-sized should be consuming 3,800 calories a day on average just to be able to sustain their daily life, so it's hard to believe he's been living in the woods for the last nine days. Rico is from the city. He's not built to survive in the woods. He doesn't have any camping supplies or survival gear. Besides, remember, there were hundreds of people who searched this area. This makes me believe someone helped Rico with a ride and just wasn't telling anyone. Detective Dean said, initially, he probably voluntarily walked away or got a ride. We have no sightings, so he probably got a ride. But how does this guy not pop up somewhere? I mean, he's a big guy who has to eat three or four times a day. I can see how a lot of people who don't stand out can disappear, but this guy stands out. End quote. According to an article I read on Fox Sports, when Rico had been missing for six weeks, they brought out the cadaver dogs to the area. They searched Cash Creek again. They rechecked homeless shelters. Still no sign of Rico. This reporter had met with Detective Dean, and he told him that Rico may have been on drugs after being cleaned for several years. So this reporter for Fox Sports drove out to an area near the town where Rico's car was found. This area is known for meth. He spoke to one of the local guys there and was told his buddy sold Rico some meth the day that he disappeared. He said he remembered seeing him. He said afterwards he just walked back to the creek. Rico's credit card that he had taken out of his wallet and carried on him has never been used in the last eight years he's been missing. His bank account he shared with Jennifer has had no hits other than the ones Jennifer made. His social security number has never been hit again. If it was, it would alert that this is a missing person. Let's go over the theories in this case. The first one is the suicide theory. This theory is brought up in every missing persons case. I consider it lazy most times. It's easy to just say that he committed suicide and just close the case. Remember, Rico talked to his friend David in the car, and David said Rico was upbeat and seemed to be in a good state of mind. He was looking forward to this job interview he had coming up. Plus, no, no body has ever been found. Some believe his last visit to see his mom could have been a real goodbye. The second theory is that Rico had alcohol and meth in his system. This would explain how he was able to stay awake for 40 plus hours. He took a wrong turn and ran out of gas. He parked his car and got out to walk in the woods and gotten lost and passed away in the woods. Again, no body has been found. The search for Rico was high tech and sophisticated. If he was in those woods, they would have found him. Even years later, if Rico's bones were found, they would be easy to recognize. These aren't your average human bones. Remember back to the Bison Dell case I told you guys about years ago, who we believe was murdered at sea by his brother? Much like Rico, he was another really tall basketball player. If someone found his bones, they would know that this, these bones belonged to a guy who was 6 foot 11 inches tall. We all know even the most thorough searches sometimes come up empty. 
An example was the Brandon Lawson case. You guys remember me telling you that one? Brandon was the young guy who disappeared in 2013. He took off running from his truck and called 911, and we couldn't understand what he was saying in the 911 call. He was missing for nine years. His body was located in 2022, and it was one mile from where his truck was found. I could not believe it because that area had been searched hundreds of times. I do think it's important to mention that Rico's car was analyzed and there was no evidence of drugs, just the bottles of alcohol. They did find a small baggie that ties on the top, similar to ones used to keep drugs in, but there was nothing in it or any traces of meth or cocaine or heroin or anything. It was completely clean. The third theory is foul play. It's hard to believe anyone would confront this six foot nine person. It would take a gun to attack Rico or a large weapon. No traces of blood or scuff marks or any signs of a struggle were found where on Rico's car and there was none where his backpack was found two miles away from his car. The last theory is what police believe happened to Rico. Detective Dean believes Rico may have decided to take a nap in the parking lot of Lower Sight. He then wandered around the area for a few days, which explains the few sightings. He ponders over some unresolved issues from his past and the new life he was about to start in Seattle. After not finding his car, he tried to go into the next town nearby. Remember, we know Rico came back to where his car was nine days after he was missing. He saw his car wasn't there because it had been towed. This was 5.30 a.m. on October 19th. Police found fresh size 18 footprints next to the creek that weren't there before. Detective Dean does not believe foul play was involved in Rico's disappearance since there is no indication of foul play and the images on Rico's phone suggest that he went there voluntarily. This detective works the case a lot even years later. He describes the accidental video and the photos Rico had on his phone taken by the water by saying, I see a free man. Speaking of the creek and the beautiful wooded area, Dean says, to him, this must have seemed like heaven. He also said he didn't have the rosy relationship with the girlfriend that she tries to depict. I think she was trying to make a better person out of him. She was trying to change Rico, maybe too fast. He's a free-spirited person. Detective Dean thinks once Rico found his car had been towed, he got a ride out of the area and is living out of town somewhere else. I feel like the on-purpose disappearance and no foul play involved is the most logical theory, but it leaves us wondering what was Rico doing in the nine days since he last talked to Jennifer and when he came back to where his car was? Where did he go afterwards? Why did he leave his backpack sitting on the side of the road? Did Rico come back to find his car was towed and ultimately wandered off and got caught in the elements? Or did Rico hitchhike out of town and is now living in disguise? It's hard for him to be alive and go unnoticed, though. Even if he were living in a homeless shelter, he would stand out at six foot nine. You can lose weight, but you can't shorten yourself or hide your height. Rico has Ballin' for Life tattooed on his left forearm. That would be one big identifier. He also has Big Rick tattooed on his upper right arm. If Rico is alive, he is 45 years old today in 2022. It's sad knowing Rico was once a really talented basketball player who was full of potential. He could have easily played for the NBA. Rico's mother said, something sinister is lurking in California. I am not giving up on finding my son. 
That's it for this week. I hope Rico is found someday and is able to give the family the answers they've been waiting for for so many years. Rico's mother and girlfriend, Jennifer, believe one day he will just come walking in, and I truly hope that that is the case. One thing is for sure, he is not forgotten. Take care and much love to you all.